You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's a holiday Monday. Welcome into Crunch Time. Here on the game, it's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Once again, 337-706-0111. And then Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. What a weekend of NFL football. From the Niners and Seahawks in a, in a game that you know the, the the first half you were you were saying okay, Seattle looks pretty good. And then in the second half the 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 Purdy machine just I mean, the, the 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 gold train just kept on running, just kept on rolling. And then in the nightcap, the nightcap, oh my God, the second play of the game, Trevor Lawrence throws a pick. Two plays later, the Chargers score, and they're off and running. Next thing you know, it's 27-0. to zero. Trevor Lawrence has four interceptions, and you're like, uh, okay, the Jags might not be the team that we thought they were. Psych. They came out in the second half, scored 31. They outscored the Chargers 31-3 to in the second half and won the game 31-4. to You ended up winning 34-30. You were up 27-0. Yeah, but you said in the second half. They scored a touchdown right before halftime. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It was 27-7. So you outscored them 24-4 to in the second half. Still massive numbers to win the game 31 to 30. Hello, James, by the way. How how are you, sir? Hi, Matt. I didn't know if I could talk yet. You didn't apparently give me privileges to talk. I, I was getting there. I was getting there. You get upset every time I talk and you're like, Hello, James. I can't I, I can't I can't talk. I'm not saying you can't talk. It's not that's not how this goes. You know that. It's just you know, let you me, get you get upset with me every time I, I talk before you introduce me. Let me introduce you. I like to introduce you. Let me introduce you. Hello, host and producer James Mesh. How are you, sir? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Okay, good. Ma- Matthew Miguez. Uh, fantastic. So glad to hear. It. Oh yeah. You had a good weekend. Uh, sure. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Uh, you were feeling a little under the weather this weekend. Uh, it wasn't the best. I had, um, to, I had to stay home the whole time. But I watched playoff football the whole time. So I right. Mean, I mean, how can you complain? And then yesterday, you know, you look at the three games yesterday. You you had the yeah, Bills and Dolphins. Kind of felt like you had Dumb and Dumber playing. I mean, that, that was that was an interesting game to to say the least. I mean, Josh Allen gets sacked seven times, seven throws, th- has three turnovers. And you just never felt like Buffalo had the game won. Even when they were up, you know, 14 nothing, 17 nothing, 
You just never felt like Buffalo had secured it. And uh, it came down to the very end. And what a what a win it was for Buffalo back home uh, for, for the first round of the playoffs. And then the, the middle game, the Giants and Vikings. Man, oh man. Saquon Barkley looks about as healthy as he's ever been. Daniel Jones, we all owe him an apology. That guy. Uh, that's that's my dynasty QB one man. It it's it, it it was impressive to to see what what he was able to do yesterday. Not only throwing the ball, but running the ball. Oh, dude. I mean, the guy ran the ball seventeen times for eighty four yards or seventy eight yards. I mean, what what a performance! He had like four carries in a row on one drive. And I told you. I told you I didn't think the Vikings were for real. I called it. I called it. So did I. And then the nightcap. Oh, the Ravens and the Bengals. Oh, buddy. We thought this game would get ugly. Uh, we, we thought that the Ravens wouldn't do a whole hell of a lot without Lamar Jackson. But Kind of true. Well, yeah. Kind of, kind of true offensively. I, I'm going to say this, though. I am going to give credit to Tyler Huntley. He actually did he play played, well. He played better than I thought he would. He played better than I thought he would. He saved, he saved the good juice for the playoffs, which is kind of what you would hope he would do. I, I'm going to give him credit. You know, he he was 17-29, 226 yards, two touchdowns. He had a 54 yards on the ground. Um, I mean, 35 of that came on one play, but, you know, still, still impressive numbers. But his whole game, his whole magnificent performance went to crap in the fourth. Third and goal from the one and a half. Hey, let's do the let's do the Drew Brees leap. And then you're athletic. You, you can do it. I just I, I have so many questions about the design. And yes, hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously. But if you are lined up in a jumbo package for your teammates to push you into the end zone while that's still allowed, because I don't think that's going to be allowed in the NFL for much longer, um, why would you elevate? Wouldn't you just get behind your center and your guard and say, come on, guys, push me. Let's just break the plane. I was going to say, you literally had Mark Andrews on your right hip Patrick Ricard, big old three hundred pound fullback right. on your left hip, right, and then, and then you had your other. What Dobbins in the middle? Dobbins was not in the middle. It was uh, it was one of their other other running backs, I think. So it just because it makes it a whole lot more difficult. It was Gus for it was Gus Edwards. Okay, it, it makes it a whole lot more difficult for your guys behind you to push you if, if you're you, elevated. Makes you so, it makes you fly if they hit you right. So you so you contradicted. The play call by elevating. And then you put the ball at risk by trying to reach it, even when you didn't have it, still trying to reach it to break the plane. Which I get it, you're trying to make the play, good for you, whatever. But you set yourself up to be susceptible for an easy turnover, and what happened? The ball landed right into the bread basket that was Sam Hubbard's arms, and he had nothing but green in front of him for 98 yards. Almost... Almost got tackled. Flipped the game on its head. 
Because in that moment, Buffalo's about, I mean, Baltimore's about to score. They take all the momentum. It's a 14 point swing. All of it. You swung that game 14 points in a matter of 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah, it took a little while for Sam to get down there. <laughs> Man, Dude, he that was, felt that felt like a mile. He um, I'm sure it felt like five miles to him. I mean, God. Because uh, it, it took so long. I was looking, I was like, oh no. Don't tell me you have three potential blockers for you and none of them are gonna block Mark Andrews. Please don't tell me that. None of them. And Mark Mark Andrews was Mark Andrews got there. He, he got there. He just <laughs> broke the tackle. Bailey Bailey last minute was able to get a block in the back, but oh. they didn't call it because he, he was like, I didn't touch him, I swear. <laughs> I, I missed touch him. him. I missed him. He just fell. Oh God, what a what a play. We we love we love big men touchdowns. There's nothing better than a big man rumbling, bumbling, stumbling all the way to the end zone. Nothing better. Um, so the Bengals win 24-17 to 17 in that one, and they will now play the Buffalo Bills, which will be a very, very entertaining contest up in Orchard Park next weekend. Let's go to the game hotline now. Martin, what's going on, bud? All I got to say is Dak Prescott that I have learned something from Tyler Huntley last night. And, and what is what is that? That you don't, when you got, like y'all was saying, when you got your line pushing you from behind, do not go high. Go low in case the game comes down to that tonight. Because I've seen the Cowboys use every way possible. My nerves are in a nervous break right now. The game ain't even been played yet. But if we lose just like that tonight, when he, if he tries to go high, you know, if it, if it comes down to that, I'm just saying. You know, because history shows that we always uh, lose in the dumbest ways. But I don't think it's – hopefully it's not close coming into the fourth quarter because then I'm going to be even more nervous because we all know Tom Brady knows how to come, you know, lead a drive down. But even if we up 28-3 to three at halftime, we better keep that foot on the accelerator too. Isn't That's that, all I got to say. Isn't that uh, kind of how all fans are in the playoffs? They're nervous even like the week before the matchup? I've been nervous since day one, since the I beginning bet. of the season, man. <laughs> because I'm just saying, I mean, I think we get it done tonight, you know. Uh-huh. And next week it should be a hell of a game, you know, when we play San Francisco. But let's let's take one step first, and that's Tampa Brady tonight. And uh, hopefully we get it done tonight, man. And how much uh, of a thanks for taking my call? Wait, Marv, before you go, how much of a lead would you need to be comfortable in the fourth quarter? Like to start the fourth quarter, how much do the Cowboys need to well, be up by for you to feel comfortable? Oh, well, I don't know. After the the the, the, the way the NFL season's going this year, I mean, look at the leads that's been blown. You know, I mean, no lead safe. You know, I'm just saying. I mean, but to feel comfortable, thirty to three. Cool. I'll, be, I'll be good with 27, oh, 30 to 3. You're, you're worried that Tampa's going to score 28 in the fourth? Well, I don't know. It's, it's Tom Brady, even though he's 45, you know, but I I, I don't know. But uh, it better not be a one-score game or even a three-point game coming into the fourth quarter because, man, my nerves can't take that. I'm just saying. But we them boys, I'm putting my faith in Dak Prescott one more time tonight. <laughs> Hopefully he, he. I mean, he's got. He can't be throwing picks left and right. He just cannot. We can't afford that. He needs to clean it up. 
you know, and let's get that dub. Appreciate the call, Martin. That game's going to be incredible to watch tonight. The Cowboys and the Bucks. David Harrison, co-host of Locked On Bucks, is going to join us at the top of hour number two to preview that game. And also Grant Hughes from Bleacher Report. He will join us at 4.30 to talk all things NBA because the New Orleans Pelicans are currently playing the Cleveland Cavaliers right now with 3.36 remaining in the fourth quarter. Cleveland holds an eight-point lead over the Pels, 101. Dude, they've been on a roll since I last saw. 101-93, to leading scorer for the Pelicans. I mean, are, are you are you surprised that it's C.J. McCollum? No. As you shouldn't be. Uh, Jarrett Allen, on the other hand, though, with 22 for Cleveland. Darius Garland with 21. Evan Mobley with 19. Are you kidding me? Everybody's hot. Everyone's hot. Cavs have, Cavs have gone on a long run since I last looked to the score. Jesus. Yeah, 103-95 now with 256 remaining in the contest. But again, on today's show, we're going to talk NBA. We're going to talk college basketball. We're going to talk the NFL. And we have audio from every NFL matchup from this weekend. We will break it all down for you on today's edition of Crunch Time. But Wild Card Weekend comes to a close tonight when the Dallas Cowboys travel to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers. Pre-game begins at 7, and you can listen to it right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, and when we return, we'll recap the weekend in college basketball for the Tigers, for the Cajuns, and for the Cowboys right here on The Game. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. So, you know, we talked about... Everybody that had a, a, a good weekend and, and things that were fun and exciting and, you know, all that fantastic stuff, right? You know who didn't have a, a good weekend? Matt McMahon and company. The LSU men's basketball team traveled to Tuscaloosa, Alabama to take on the fourth-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. And uh, there, there's not a whole lot of words to describe what went down. It was not pretty. Uh, LSU gives up 59 in the first half and then 47 more in the second half in route to a 106-66 to defeat at the hands of the Tide. Brandon Miller, who's likely going to be named the SEC Player of the Year, 31 points on 11 of 16 shooting. Uh, the, the downfall for the Tigers, James, they shot... 29% from the field. 29%. That means out of every three shots, you didn't make one. You made a little under one for every three. That's that's not that's not good. And you know, you were 38% from the three-point line. Cool. Didn't really help you. I mean, you were down 37 at the break. What do you what do you tell 
What do you tell a team that's down 37 at the break to a conference team? Now, look, I, I, I know it's the first year. Matt McMahon's still working on recruiting, things like that. I'm not saying that I have lost hope in this team. But, like, I'm asking a serious question here, James. When you're losing by 37 at the halftime break, as a coach, what do you tell your team? Like, what what message can you provide? You're down by 40. To a number four ranked right. Alabama who's, squad. Who's not only in your conference, in your division. You have to play them again. Like what? What do you? What do you? What do you say? You can't pack it in. Uh, no, of, because of that's, course not. Like, like you can't just tell them. Oh, we'll just have to move on to the next one. I mean, there's only so much you can tell them. Because, I mean, initially you could go at it with multiple different approaches. You can go at it with a calm demeanor, like, "Hey, look, guys, we we definitely have not done enough in this first half. We have shot putrid." To start this game, we have to make our shots, and like you, you can say that you can have like cliche things to say. Right. You could also go into it super pissed, like punching the lockers or whatever, and saying you need to get your head out of your no, your you know what. Like you, you could go at it multiple different ways. But and- to me, if you're down thirty-seven against a number a top four team in the country, I don't, I don't see what you can say is going to be enough for you to overcome that kind of deficit. Now, whatever he said must have worked. You only had 22 points in the first half. You scored 44 in the second. Right. So you played much better in the second half than you did in the first, but you were down by so much in the first half. However, you gave up even more. (laughs) You weren't weren't coming back. You you just weren't. And and so it's one of those games where, you know, you obviously learned learned a big lesson here. You learned, you know, you are not as close as you maybe thought you were. Uh, absolutely, your record um, your record showed one thing, but you saw the quality in the wins, and you saw how you won. And right, it overall wasn't that impressive. I still think that this LSU squad can do some things, but overall, after seeing that forty point yep. loss, it's um, it's tough for me to look at it and be like, you're going to make it to the Sweet Sixteen not, or they're the not Elite there yet. They're not there yet. Like you may be able, you might be able to, depending on the matchup, get your first win in and get to the round of thirty-two. But I can't see you getting to the Sweet Sixteen with the loss. The Tigers dropped to twelve and five and one and four in the SEC. Meanwhile, staying on the topic of men's basketball, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. How about a four-game winning streak right now to to cap off the road trip? With ULM and South Alabama, a 79 to 76 win over the Jags on Saturday. Jordan Brown scoring 23 to bring his season average to 19.2 points per game. With the win, the Cajuns are at 14 and four, and in a six-way tie for first place in the Sun Belt. So you know, starting off conference 0 and 2, you ripped off four straight wins, and now you got to go to Arkansas State and Texas State this weekend before you enjoy four straight games at home. Uh, so still the, the the tough stretch of road games, not quite over for Bob Marlin and company. But again, having played well on the road here of late, interesting to see what they will do against one team that is 
in the is ranked last in the conference, and then one team that's ranked a little more middle of the pack. So interested to see how that road trip will go. And then for McNeese, you know, ju- just another hard-fought game over Houston Christian. You fell ninety to eighty-one in that one, and, and you're you're five and thirteen, ranked seventh in in the Southland so far. Again, you know, you look at the game against Houston Houston Christian. You were in it down three at halftime. Uh, you know, you got outscored forty nine to forty three in the second half, and it was just one of those things that mistakes and, and and turnovers kind of kind of came to bite you. You were you out fouled them twenty four to sixteen, so it's just one of those things. You got out rebounded. Little factors like that, James, add up to to a loss more more times than not. If you commit more fouls than the other team, you get out rebounded. You have pretty similar turnovers, um, and and again, you know, the the thing with McNeese is that they're they're struggling with some depth. They're only playing about eight guys, um, so they're they're struggling to kind of find some consistency w- within their group. But I mean, you look at guys like Christian Shoemate and, and Trey English and Scott at the guard spot hitting five threes the other night. You had guys th- that stepped up, but again, it's just not quite enough. Yeah, it, the scoring was overall good. The McNeese getting to eighty is that, that's a good score you want to get to in college basketball. However, you're looking at the scoring from the Huskies, and they had two guys who had twenty six plus. You had Bryson Long, who was shooting lights out from behind the arc. Dude's only six two, but he made seven out of his sixteen attempts and ultimately scored thirty two. And then you had another guy. And Maring, and I mean, he almost didn't miss a shot at all. Yeah, he only missed four out of his fifteen attempts, and he scored twenty six himself. That dynamic duo, I mean, that that's just tough to overcome. And the fact that it was only by nine, I feel like it could have been a lot worse with how efficient uh, Houston Christian was able to score on Saturday. Yep. And then you know, switching over to the women's side of things, McNeese getting a big win over Houston Christian, sixty nine to fifty four. Zuzana Kalinska. 14 points on 5 of 7 shooting. The Cowgirls shot 48% from the field and 58% from deep in that game. Had less turnovers than the Huskies. One of those good home performances for Lynn Kennedy and company. Louisiana Raging Cajuns getting a win on the ro- at home against South Alabama 66-49 to before taking the defending champion in Troy to the limit 85-78 to in overtime in that one the the raging cajuns are turning a corner uh gary broadhead's team the issues that they're struggling with again it's kind of like the mcneese men consistency finding somebody that can consistently show up for you night after night it has kind of been the struggle for them uh calves pels just went final and i'm assuming the Cavs won correct 113 103 okay and, you know the uh the the pelicans are, That's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to play. They're a good team. And then, let's be honest, the Pelicans are going to struggle a little bit until Zion and B.I. are able to come back. Correct. I mean, the overall record for the Cavs, I believe this is now their 18th win out of 23 times being at home. Yeah, so, I mean, they're, 18th they're, or they're playing well at home. Like it's that's just a tough environment to play this year. And, I mean, it, it's an explosive offense. There's a lot of different people that you got to guard. And then... Lastly, LSU women. The train just keeps rolling. 84-54 to over Auburn in a day where they honored Simone Augustus. 
uh, unveiled a statue outside the basketball facility. She became the first female athlete from LSU to have a statue unveiled in her honor. Uh, just what a what a performance once again by Angel Reese. Uh, fun fact for you, James. LSU has played 18 games. Angel Reese has 18 double-doubles. She has a double-double in every game. She's been absolutely killing it. She is one double-double away from Sylvia Fowles' record of the most consecutive double-doubles in an LSU uniform. And post-game, she said that closing in on those records is a blessing. Um, it's meant a lot to me. Um, I'm just playing, playing the game. I didn't know I was break, breaking these records until you guys have mentioned it. But I'm just doing whatever it takes to win. I'm happy to be, I'm just to be mentioned with Sylvia Files, Simone Augustus. It's, it's really a blessing, and I'm happy. Kim Mulkey also spoke with the media following the win, and she was asked about you know the 18 and 0 start and what it means to be in that position in just her second year, and this is what she had to say. We haven't done anything, really. We've won games. We've won 18 games, and that's impressive. I get it. doesn't matter who you play. We have beaten, I guess you would say, those that we're supposed to beat, and we've beaten them handily. But this is only my second year here, guys. We've got a long way to go. We've got to keep recruiting. You know, we lose some great seniors this year, and we've got to bring kids in. And um, it takes two or three recruiting classes, you know, to start – what I call just really stability. And I think we're doing that. I think the transfer portal allowed us to bring in a lot of new pieces. I'm enjoying coaching them. We got fatigued there in the second half. There was a spurt in the third, spurt in the fourth where we got fatigued. Kim Mulkey also said that the Tigers have to do a better job of doing their work early inside the paint. I think you should get a post player to answer that. I, I, there were moments we were disappointed. I just felt like um, you can't get buried. Our rules, if your feet are in that paint and you're behind, you're in trouble. You have to do your work early. And I just thought that they just kind of ducked their head and just like, I'm, I'm posting up on you. And they did it to Samaya. They did it today. They did it to Angel once. I have to get our attention to make sure it's just an off night and not something that we just start doing because we think we're that good and we can block a shot. Do your work early. If you didn't get what you wanted from Santa, you don't have to worry. We have the gifts you really want right here in the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Win $150 to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or $25 to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. We also have $40 gift cards to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard and a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. Grant Hughes of the Bleacher Report joins us next to talk all things NBA right here on The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look 
LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time 437 here on your Monday. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Cleveland Cavaliers taking down your New Orleans Pelicans 113-103 to inside Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio. You know, you look at it, Darius Garland scoring 30. C.J. McCollum led the Pelicans with 25. It was a game where... The Cavs shot 48% from the field, and they went to the free throw line 33 times to the Pelicans only going to the line 22 times. Uh, the Pelicans did outshoot the Cavs, but again, just some big runs by the Cavs later down the back stretch was ultimately the difference in that one. Uh, Grant Hughes from Bleacher Report joins us to talk all things NBA. Grant, thanks for taking the time, man, and how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we'll start with the Pelicans 113 to 103. Uh, again, you know, the the story for the Pelicans has been they've played well, but you're you're seriously missing BI and Zion because like I said, you're you playing well, but you're not playing well enough. Yeah, it, I mean, that is the story of their season. It it's just really if anything, my my slant on it is that it's kind of remarkable that the Pelicans are where they are because it hasn't just been, I mean, Ingram has been out. I just played 15 games all year. Zion now is out, but you've had, you know, Herb Jones in and out of the lineup. You've had several other guys that, you know, just haven't, haven't been there. And, and a lot of them are young and you add all that together and it should be really difficult to kind of keep the rotations making sense, keep guys in roles that they can get comfortable in. And, and so far, you know, the ceiling is much higher for this team, but I think that they've kept the floor as high as it's been. It's really a testament to, one, how deep the roster is, but two, just I think Willie Green, you know, is doing the best with what he's got, and and certainly that hasn't been anything close to full strength for quite a while. Yeah, you know, we, we touched on B.I. and Zion being out. C.J. and Jonas Valanciunas have stepped up in big ways for mm-hmm. the Pelicans, and, and, you know, the young guys have always been the conversation with Jose Alvarado, Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy, and a handful of others. You know, you talked about the depth. Just kind of talk about the depth of this group and what really stands out about what the Pelicans have been able to do so far. Yeah, I think so. There's it's the best the best kind of depth you can have is where there's kind of a wide variety of skills. And and so to to just tie it back to to Valanciunas, for example, he's been a rock. I mean, he's been like a bailout option when the offense isn't working. You can dump it into him in the post, you know. But he is limited, right? You know, he's not real mobile defensively. And then, but then you've got Larry Nance that you can throw out there to close games if you need to switch. If you need someone who could just you know move their feet a little better, depending on the matchups. You know, Herb Jones, it's whenever he misses time, Dyson Daniels has, you know, had ups and downs because all rookies do. But I think defensively, I didn't think it was possible to get, you know, a more promising defensive prospect as a rookie than the Pels got with Herb Jones. But now here's Daniels that I think has as high a ceiling as anybody defensively, you know, on the wing in the league. So, you know, Najee Marshall is another guy that stepped up just wasn't honestly on my radar until this season because he just seemed like a 10th or 11th guy. But, He's had some monster games. Trey Murphy, I mean, great shooter. Could just will throw in, you know, a, a hammer dunk like once or twice a night just to just to keep it interesting. So they've got a bunch of guys that can come in and not necessarily like replace what Ingram can do, or certainly not replace what Zion can do. But they'll chip in in you know these other areas, and you know 
you let all that shake out and and the record is what it is and they're you know up there towards the top of the west now you know you touched on the ceiling of this team and and how they've put the floor higher than than what it's been once this team is fully healthy again what's the ceiling for this group i think they can be as good as just and now we're talking like in two three years i mean i think and, and they get development from the guys they need and they keep the core together and maybe make a trade because they've got a lot of assets to do that. It's definitely a, like a title contending team. I think if everyone has been healthy all year, there's a good chance that, like, look, Memphis and Denver have kind of separated themselves in the West after, you know, a few weeks, several weeks of, who you know, who's the team in the West right now? There were like 12 of them that seemed like they were within a game or two. I think if New Orleans had been healthy all year, then they're right there with Denver and Memphis at, at, towards the top of the conference. But long term, I mean, it's hard not to be optimistic, right? That there's, there's, you know, they might make a conference finals. They might make a finals. Who knows after that? As long as, you know, health and, and they can sort of, you know, get internal development because the pieces are pretty much there. Uh, it's just going to have to, you know, things got to break right. It just is, is the case for, for any young team that's kind of uh, on the upswing. What are your thoughts on, on Willie Green as the head coach and the job he's done so far in just his second year? Yeah, really, I mean, I think really highly of him. Um, it's difficult to handle a team that, you know, its best players, Ingram and Zion, are are young. Um, I think C.J. McCollum has, has been helpful as a veteran coming in uh, as a trade acquisition last year. But, but that's a tough, that's, you know, that's a tall order because you're not just, you know, motivating and all this other stuff you're really teaching a lot with guys that are as inexperienced as most of the pelicans players are um and so i mean you know guys have been in and out of the lineup but one thing you can say and i would tie this to green is that they tend to play hard and when they're not playing hard you know there's a timeout coming and if there's a there's a you know sloppy turnovers there's a timeout coming and they're going to hear about it so kind of walking that line of kind of nurturing the talent but also kind of fostering some accountability not a lot of coaches can do that, um, let alone you know first-time head coaches. So I think he's been really impressive. Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report joining us here on Crunch Time, looking at the NBA in a in a wide scope. You know, you look at the Eastern Conference, and it's being run by by the Boston Celtics right now, and and they're being led by Jason Tatum, who is just playing on a completely different level than just about everybody else in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, he. It's one of those things where we. I feel like it's been four years where we're kind of thinking, "Oh, Jason Tatum has arrived," you know, and he's just been getting better incrementally over that stretch. And this year is, you know, this is the put it together year. And as we say that now, maybe he'll be better next year. But yeah, he's really improved just across the board. And you know, he was a guy that last year was good enough, uh, had they not run into the Warriors, to be the best player on a championship team. So, I mean, you know, the Celtics were right there. They made the finals, and, and he's better now. So I think he's probably fallen out of the MVP race mostly. I mean, serious, you know, top end of it, mostly just because Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic just won't stop, you know, putting up triple doubles and scoring 40 and, and all, all these crazy numbers. But, um, yeah, he's, he's, you know, a top, top five, top six MVP guy. Um, and if he gets, you know, runs hot for a couple weeks, then, you know, amend that to top three or four. Now you know you, you touched you t- you brought up Luca you brought up Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Giannis. Obviously, you know there's the there's the list of guys that you expect to be at at the top of the league. One guy that has really been very impressive for the Oklahoma City Thunder is Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on his play so far this year? Yeah, 
Yeah, he's probably got the title of best player in the league that nobody really gets to see, or, or, or very few people get to see. Um, he and, and really, like he hinted that this was possible uh, in each of really the last couple of years, but he'd had shortened seasons because the Thunder were tanking and they'd shut him down and and that kind of thing. He's just in terms of of guys that are difficult to keep in front of defensively. He's you know at the absolute top of the list. He's led the league in the, my favorite stat on him is he's led the league in drives per game in each of the last three years. So he just. It doesn't matter what the defense does. He gets to the lane, and from there, it's just he can make the pass. He can finish. He's a great foul drawer. So he's a guy that, you know, he's averaging 30 a game, uh, and there's not a lot of help on that Thunder team. This is not the Pelicans where there's, you know, five, six guys that can chip in. The Thunder are a lot more like your typical, you know, team filled out by a bunch of guys who are like 22, 23, just aren't, aren't there yet. And, and he's, been, he's been phenomenal, one of the best offensive players in the league, just, just full stop. You know, as as we get closer to the All Star break, playoff races start to start to come into the picture. Who are some teams that you're looking at right now that that could be a dark horse to to either get into the play in or, or hold a playoff spot? Yeah, I mean, right now there's still so much parity, short of the the couple teams that I mentioned. You know, Memphis and Denver in the West, and, and you've got Boston kind of separating itself at the top of the East. But like of teams with with significant upside, you know, take Miami in the East. They're seventh right now. I'm just always going to trust that you know if the Heat are healthy, they've got so much veteran experience. They're so tough. They, they defend. Like I could see them, you know, climbing up the second or third in the East, and just you know we wake up in in June and they're like in the conference finals. It's not ridiculous to me. You know, some other things would have to happen for that to work out for them. Injuries elsewhere, but they're a team I like with some upside. And then in the West, I mean, it's just. It's, it's, it's probably unpopular to say it now just because they've looked so bad over the last handful of games. They just can't win on the road, and they turn the ball over more than everybody except the Rockets. But the Warriors, you know, this is what you expect sometimes from a title-defending team is they just don't turn it on. They, they just can't muster the urgency until, you know, we get into April. Um, they can't mess around too much longer, though. I'm gonna, they're gonna lose the benefit of the doubt from me, but I don't know how you, how you count out a team that has a healthy Steph Curry, Draymond Green, all those guys, um, if they can ever start taking things seriously, which, which lately, uh, there have been some real bad losses to some, to some not so hot teams. So it's, uh, they're on the edge for me right now. As we wrap up with Grant Hughes, you know, a, a big storyline of the NBA right now is that LeBron is starting to get a little bit unhappy with the Los Angeles Lakers, and, and there's some rumors circulating that they are selling him on the offseason edition of either Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal. Uh, what, what's a realistic possibility? How, how can the Lakers pull that off? Yeah, it's tough. That You know, the reason they haven't really upgraded the roster by now is that they don't have a lot to trade. They, their first round, you ought to know the Pelicans have, you know, a handful of their first rounders that they can't trade. So they've been trying to get teams to take Russell Westbrook or do a smaller trade. They can only trade their 2027 and 2029 first rounders right now. And they just haven't found the deal to do that. I think it's, it's likely they're going to sign somebody Kyrie Irving this, this summer, I think is a pretty, you know, a, that'd be a decent guess as to who they would target just with some of their cap space that they'll have once they're not paying Westbrook anymore. Um, but trade wise. Yeah. Like, it, you know, sometimes the simplest answer is the best, which is to say if they're, if that were realistic, if, if they could have gotten Damian Lillard or Beal or Zach Levine or, you know, you name it, they probably would have done it by now. 
Um, and so the reason they haven't, I think, is just because they don't have what it takes to get those guys yet, or may, and maybe they won't ever. I don't know. But, but that's, that's the real issue with the Lakers is they don't have a lot of outs right now. Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report joining us here on Crunch Time. Grant, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thanks. And there he goes, Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report covering the NBA. James, you know, as a, as a Celtics fan, you, you got to feel pretty good about what he had to say about the about the killer C's. Oh, dude, I love to hear it. I, I mean, just the. Jason Tatum, and he he's right on the money about Jason Tatum, right? Cause, every cause year, because we think, oh, he's like this is his cap, right? I mean, you can only get so good, but he, he keeps gets that get, much better. He gets better. He every, gets that much better every year. The fact that he was able to get to the finals at such a young age and like have such and not just be somebody that kind of played like 15, 20 minutes in the finals. No, him having to be the focal point along with Jalen Brown, those being valuable minutes and valuable experience, even though you didn't lose. That's something that you can build on for the future and be able to make another run at the finals and actually win one this time. Yeah, no no question about it. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time, wrap up hour number one on the other side right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 454 right now, wrapping up the first hour. Let's go ahead and take a look at that poll question of the day. What is your what was your favorite wild card game from the weekend? Was it the Giants versus Vikings, you know, Chargers Jags, huge comeback for that one? Ravens Bengals or was it one of the other games? So far, we've got a tie for first between Giants Vikings and then Ravens Bengals at 36% each, and then the final 27% goes to Chargers Jags. What would which one was your favorite of the five? I mean, Niner Seahawks was a great time. Uh, first half was pretty cool. I, I, I made some money on that game, so that was great. Um. You know the the night game was was fun. It's always cool to see a team come back from down as much as as Jacksonville was. Um, and then the three games Sunday, they were all good. Uh, I mean they were they were all dramatic down to the end. They were all interesting and yeah in their own in their own right. in their own ways. Um, probably the best football game. Giants Vikings. See, I would have to give it to the Seahawks Niners. Really. I would have to give it to the Seahawks Niners. I, I think I think they both traded blows back and forth for most of the game, and then the Seahawks. I mean, the Niners just came away with it in the second half. Uh, but no, close second would be the Giants Vikings. That's interesting because to me, the Seahawks 49ers game was my least favorite. Now, could taking into the fact that that was the only one that I got wrong so far be a part of it? Well, yeah, that's sure. that's why you didn't like it because you were wrong. Correct, but also you look at it. The whole second half, it was it was just like oh, it was just an onslaught, and then you just saw the Seahawks get a- get absolutely beat up, and it was like okay, well, this that's, one didn't come down to the wire was, like every other game. That's what was fun. Everybody finally wrote back to Gino. <laughs> Gino finally wrote back in the mm-hmm. second half, yeah. but that that was that was the thing for me was every other game it came down 
to one possession or it came down to the last minute or so. But with the 49ers Seahawks, that was over midway into the third quarter. That that was that's where it was the least favorite for me because it became the biggest blowout. It became a whole snooze fest kind of the whole second half unless you're a 49ers fan or you had money on the 49ers money line. But other than that, to me, every other game was close. Every other game was very competitive the whole way through, and it came down to the last couple of plays. Yeah, they, they were all fun. Uh, and, and tonight, I, I have a feeling it is going to be fun, although I wish that both teams would lose, uh, the Cowboys and the Bucks. It's just a lose-lose situation for you tonight. <laughs> We'll kick off hour number two with David Harrison, host of Locked On Bucks. We'll preview the matchup, and we will hear from the winning coaches from around the league right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of your Monday edition of Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion. Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the Simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Looking at the NFL playoffs, five games down, one to go tonight in Tampa Bay. It will be the Bucks and the Cowboys, Tom Brady, versus Dak Prescott, Leonard Fournette versus Ezekiel Elliott, and who the hell is going to stop Micah Parsons? I mean, it's this this game is going to be intriguing, to, uh, to, to say the least. David Harrison, the co-host of Locked on Bucks, joins us here on the game hotline to preview the matchup. David, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. So, scale of one to ten, where are the nerves at? Uh, I mean, my nerves. Like, I mean, honestly, probably about a six. I'm not, you know, I'm not playing, so I don't have a whole lot on the line. But I, I know that those guys are excited, and and you know, uh, I'm sure you guys want to talk about. It, but the return of Ryan Jensen is really going to kind of help uh, get these guys supercharged from an emotional standpoint. It's just can they contain the emotions enough to not make some early mistakes is going to be the key. So question number one that I have for you, David, is how wild is it that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not only won their division with a losing yeah. record, but is are, are hosting a playoff game with a losing record? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, I don't I don't want to be one of these people that's like, you know, the division winners shouldn't matter and you know, it should just be, you know, kind of just order the NFL from the best record to the so whatever you know, seed you need to, and then reshuffle. I know the NBA goes through that conversation seemingly every year. I mean, at the end of the day, if you win your division, like Coach Bowles has been saying, you deserve, you've earned, you know, to, to say the least, the right to to go into the postseason and play a playoff game. And if you win your division, you deserve the right to host a playoff game because that's how it works. But I mean, there's, there's, I would be lying if I wouldn't say that there's a little bit of a sentiment among even the media group and the fan base, especially that like, yeah, it's a playoff berth, but you know, it's still kind of reminiscent of the old days where the Buccaneers would struggle through every season, just usually 
the rest of the NFC South wasn't struggling with them, so they didn't get to back into the playoffs this way. You know, you brought up Brian Jensen returning tonight. He's missed most of the season in that offensive line for Tampa. Talk about his return, what it means for the team, and how it could maybe you know alter the chemistry of that offensive line a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely going to have an impact, you know, and the the hope, obviously, for the team and for Ryan himself is that the impact is going to be a positive one. Uh, you know, injured during training camp, went on IR officially September 1st, uh, and the the hope kind of was all the way through, really just kind of going back to the Super Bowl run when Villavea came back during the playoffs after going out uh, for the year early in the season, uh, that season, and, and everybody kind of brought those memories up and we're kind of hoping maybe Ryan will be able to do the same thing. There's an obvious talent bump. The question really is how much rust is he going to need to shake off? He's been practicing. He's been practicing hard. Uh, been practicing nearly for the entire 21-day window that they had for him to practice, prepare for the game. I think that's smart and will kind of help him get into rhythm and help that line uh, work together. He and Brady obviously have some experience. But I think really, you know, outside the talent bump that he's going to bring to that line, really it's, it's the emotional bump. He's, he's, he's big red for a reason. He's kind of nasty, opposing fan bases might almost call him dirty. You know what I mean? Those that He kind of walks that line a little bit and really brings an edge and an energy to that Buccaneers offense that we haven't really seen without him. You know, you look at Tom Brady, and, and it's just insane to think that the, the man is thrown for 4,700 yards at, at the age of 45. Uh, but, you know, you look at 25 touchdowns and nine interceptions, and you think – those are good numbers, and Brady's had a good year. Don't get me wrong, but David, you know when you watch the Bucks, does it kind of feel like Tom Brady might be regressing a little bit at forty-five? You know, I, I think the the question about whether or not Tom is regressing this season is is less of a physical observation and more of kind of a mental observation. And, and what I mean by that is. You know, even you know he's never been an athletic freak, right? He's never been a guy that's going to run away from pressure every, you know, every time he, he encounters it. But now, as he's gotten older, I mean, he's even slower. I don't know if everybody remembers it. The last time you saw him run 12 yards during a game, it's the slowest 12-yard gain you'll ever see uh, in your life, and and that's just you know part of part of getting older. But I think Tom is more aware, I guess, of just how much he can't escape pressure than before. At least before he could shuffle through the pocket if he needed to, with enough quickness to be able to do things. But now he really can't even do that as quickly as he used to. And his body is getting older, which means it's more susceptible to injury, more likely that a, a freak incident or hit or accidental hit is going to cause uh, an injury. So he's got to get rid of the ball fast because of those. So I don't know that he's regressing from a physical standpoint. I think it's more so the mobility standpoint, the mentality of I've got to get the ball clear because I can't afford to take as many hits as I could when I was younger. Chatting with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks, looking at the matchup tonight with Dallas. You know, in, in your opinion, what are what are the strength strengths and weaknesses for the Bucks in this matchup? Meaning, you know, where can Tampa exploit Dallas and vice versa? Yeah, you know, for the Buccaneers, I mean, on offense, you know, la- the last time we saw these two teams play, I know it's been a really long time, so you don't want to put too much stock into that. Uh, the Buccaneers were able to run the ball with Leonard Fournette alone to the point where a lot of people said, well, maybe this, this might be one of the better rushing attacks in the National Football League. This is how they're going to do things. Now, obviously, that hasn't come to fruition, but there's something there in that matchup that they were able to exploit to get uh, to get to that kind of that kind of point. And now Rashad White uh, is much more involved, and even we've seen Keyshawn Vaughn towards the end of the season get a little bit more involved And Giovanni Bernard. I mean, he's still a veteran with some ability, right? I wouldn't expect... Uh, kind of a breakout game or performance by him by any means, but there is something 
to that rushing attack, that if the Buccaneers can get that going early, it really kind of brings an element that the Cowboys probably aren't anticipating having to put extra effort into stopping. And then, of course, we know the Dallas Cowboys secondary uh, outside of Diggs is really not the strongest in the National Football League. So expect, I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, Tom Brady isn't, t- isn't scared of any defensive backs, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go away from just because the rest of the group really is just kind of right for the picking. I mean, I expect him to test Xavier Rhodes early just to see uh, what he's going to be able to do in this in this contest when he gets on the field. For the Dallas Cowboys, I think the key is, is, is that defense. And, you know, knowing, understanding that they're going to target your weakness, how do we game plan, how does Dan Quinn come out with a plan to strengthen uh, that weakness through scheme and through look and through coverage uh, combinations because they got to keep this game low. If this game turns into if the Bucks hit maybe 17, 21 points in the first half, Dak Prescott has not had the best track record making decisions in crunch time, especially in playoff scenarios and things like that. And that's not what the Dallas Cowboys want to deal with. So Dan Quinn, I think, honestly probably has the most pressure on him. But fortunately for him, he's not Micah Parsons, who's looking to finally be the young NFL star to unseat Tom Brady, where Patrick Mahomes and some other uh, candidates have failed in the past. Now, you know, looking at the injury report, Carlton Davis, Keanu Neal, Logan Ryan, and Vita Vea all listed as questionable for tonight. Uh, have you heard any updates on them? Where do they stand for the game tonight? Uh, officially, no updates as of right now. I would expect all of those guys to probably be active. The, the Buccaneers secondary uh, has been banged up, I mean, the, the entire season. But there are a number of guys uh, that were banged up that, you know, quote-unquote could have played against Atlanta or could have stayed in the game against Atlanta even if they needed to. So, that kind of leans towards you know probably going to play uh, in this game, and and that's that's incredibly important because if, uh, if if anybody's been watching Bucks games at all or even catching the highlights, a lot of those close games against opponents you wouldn't really expect to be close. Uh, no offense to the Saints, but that Monday nighter against New Orleans, and then of course uh, the game against the Los Angeles Rams that required a, a, a finishing drive touchdown from the offense. Both of those games featured heavily banged up uh, and absent starters from the Buccaneers secondary and led to big plays for their opponents. Now, before we get to the the keys to victory for tonight, you know, obviously the new the conversation sweeping the NFL right now is the Sean Payton sweepstakes. You know, what are your thoughts on that, and yeah. what what teams do you think are, are truly in the running for for the services of Sean Payton? You know, I've always kind of had this Dallas Cowboy feel with, with Sean Payton. You know, and and we'll see how things kind of go uh, tonight, obviously. But I just. I can't shake this vibe that, you know, that, that Sean Payton and the Dallas Cowboys kind of, they're a duo that really wants to work together. But at the same time, uh, it's also important to remember that twice already, Sean Payton and Tom Brady have tried to connect. You know, once obviously there with New Orleans, if Drew was going to retire uh, after the 2019 season, the story is that Tom was going to go there and then link up with Sean. And then we all know about the tampering situation with Miami trying to get Sean and try to get Tom uh, as well. And that's why they don't have a first round pick. So I wouldn't put it past those two guys to try to run it back and maybe try for a third time. Now, where that would be, uh, I don't know. But I know that if Tom Brady is going to leave Tampa, he's going to look for a team that's got a defense worthy or or willing or able uh, to kind of help carry a team to the playoffs and then look for an offense that's got at least two or three legitimate weapons because there is a rumor that's kind of been hanging out there unsubstantiated right now, but there is a rumor that Rob Gronkowski is considering coming back to play with Tom again next season. So if you get Sean and you get Tom, you might also get Gronk. So if you've got a couple of weapons, you might end up with the best offense in the National Football League. All right, David. You know, keys to victory tonight. If Tom Brady wants to get on a plane and and go back to so go back to California where he grew up to play the Niners, his childhood team, what do they have to do yeah. tonight? 
Uh, you got to score early. You know, every team wants to start fast, and, and so that's not really saying much. But I think in this matchup, specifically, I mentioned kind of the Dak Prescott mistakes under pressure. You got to put points up fast. You got to put pressure on Dak Prescott through the offense, putting up points, and then let that pressure compound with the pressure that Top Bowles is going is to draw up uh, for Dak and force Dak Prescott into some of those mistakes because he said it himself earlier this week. He already knows and he understands that his legacy, his story is going to be written in the postseason. And that so far, it's not a good story. So if he comes, he already knows the story is not very good on him right now. Put him in a position where he says, "Oh no, here's another bad chapter," and maybe you get him uh, into a mindset where he can make things worse. David Harrison, co-host of Locked On Bucks, joining us here on the game hotline. David, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, hopefully, we can talk again soon. Absolutely appreciate you guys. Thank you. And there he goes, David Harrison, the host of Locked On Bucks. You know. Looking at this game, James, and obviously we will dissect it a, a little bit more as as the show goes on. What are your immediate thoughts of, about this matchup? Which team? I know Dallas is a three point favorite in this game, but which team stands out to you over the the other in this matchup? I mean, you can always go with the cliche answer of, "Well, it's Tom Brady." And- he has all the infinite um, experience in the playoffs as opposed to most Cowboys players, yeah. which to me, that, that definitely does play a factor. Um, you can always look back at Tom Brady. He's never lost in his 20 years of playing. He's never lost to the Cowboys in any situation. He's come, he's come very close a couple of times the last couple of years in Tampa. Um, but that's what that's what really intrigues me is I, I feel like Tampa's not going to play as well as Dallas. But I do look tonight because you always you always see a call or two or a no call or two that leans towards Tom Brady and the Buccaneers where you're like, mm, I don't know about that one. And it's in a very critical time. And that's whenever you see. Tom Brady and whatever team he's playing for end up getting the win. Yeah. So I, to me, I'm not necessarily saying that the Bucks are going to outright win, but I am going to be keeping my eye out for a call or no call that either stalls a Cowboys drive that could seal the game for them or extend a Buccaneers drive to give them the opportunity to get a game-winning or game-tying field goal slash touchdown late yeah. in the game. It, it, it's going to be an interesting matchup. You know, obviously – the, the Cowboys haven't played great as of late, um, including getting absolutely owned by the Commanders in, in the last game of the regular season. But it, it's one of those things where as much as I dislike Dallas, and I do, I, I really do, James, I am, I am tired of Tom Brady. I mean, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've been tired of him the last <laughs> and, 20 years. And, and you see, that, that that's such a compliment, right? Because he's been so good, and you talk about him for so long that you're like, all right, I'm sick of hearing this dude's name. He's got to like, be done, right? That's kind of where I've gotten. Like, can, can, we, can we lose so that you can, you know, go broadcast or something? It kind of feels like even when that happens, that just motivates him more. Yeah. TB47. Just TB fifty million. Just just slinging at forty seven years old. I just I 
the the guy's immortal. What what is what is that line from Infinity War from Thanos? I am inevitable. I mean, is is Tom Brady Thanos? He might be. Maybe. I, I feel like he's got, he's already got he, he's he got could be. he's got the Infinity Gauntlet plus the six stones. Oh. I mean, he's got one more. Oh God, he, he is Thanos. Good, he's, good. he's Thanos plus one. Oh my God. Now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can listen to the game on it. Just ask Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana, and it's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. We'll take a time out when we return. We will recap Saturday's games with a win for the Niners and a come-from-behind miraculous win for Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll do it next right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 521 here on your Monday edition of Crunch Time. You're listening to the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know, if you look at the games from Saturday, you look at the 49ers Seahawks game first, and James, you and I kind of talked about it. This was a game where you, you traded blows early. The Niners had the opportunity to take a two point lead into the locker room at halftime, but a ridiculous penalty by Jimmy Ward. I mean, why would you launch yourself into a sliding quarterback? I just, I, I don't understand it. Uh, led to a field goal. The Seahawks get some momentum going into halftime with a 17-16 to 16 lead. Uh, but then, you know, the Niners came out and kind of did what they do best. They put opponents away. Uh, Brock Purdy playing a, a hell of a game. And he had great help from Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk and Ray Ray McLeod and Jawan Jennings and Need I Go On. The Niners are just well put together. Top to bottom on offense, they have weapons. Uh, following the win, head coach Kyle Shanahan was asked, what did you tell your team at halftime? Um, I definitely wasn't happy how it ended. Um, but we moved on from that very fast. Uh, by the time we got in, he's just trying not to think about it. I mean, the, our team knows what we messed up there. Um, but I said this is what we expected. Uh, we expected a tight game. It was a tight game. That's playoff football. And I expect us to come out in the second half, score first, and then respond. And then, you know, you look at the Niners. You, you started Trey Lance at the beginning of the year. He goes down with an injury, broken ankle. You go to Jimmy Garoppolo. Plays pretty well not not like world beater but jimmy jimmy g did what jimmy g does he goes down with an injury broken foot and now who do you turn to your 2022 mr irrelevant rookie and brock purdy well mr irrelevant has been pretty relevant uh the the niners have continued what is now their 11 game win streak and, and Brock Purdy's been been the head for for most of it. Uh he's played 7 games now for 
the Niners, playing well, never really missed a beat if you're San Francisco. And following the win, Kyle Shanahan was asked, are you surprised with how much trust you have in your rookie quarterback? Not really. Um, felt that way from the beginning. You know, once he got in that game versus Miami, you know, we didn't have um, we didn't have the luxury to sit there and worry about stuff the way the game was going. Um, we just had to call plays to try to win the game, and he did such a hell of a job. And he's done it every time since. So um, we got a lot of confidence in him, and he gives us more and more confidence each week. You know, the the thing that I love about Brock Purdy is his ability, James, to just make plays. Uh, you know, when, when when plays break down and you you don't feel like there's anything there, he finds something. He doesn't crumble and just like let the sack happen. Right. He like he avoids it at all costs and he looks to make the plays as much as possible, which is really good for kind of like a quarterback early on. Like you're happy, like, hey, you're not just taking the sack and you're still being smart with it. It's not like you're just throwing it into traffic. And like hoping your guy comes down with it, he's still making very smart plays, still while buying time for everybody else. I don't right. know how long that's going to last because at a certain point, people are going to plan for you better as time goes along. But for right now, it's working really well for we've, him. We've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. I know, but I'm, and... I know, I know, but like we look at every trend ever. It's like, oh, read option. That's going to be impossible to stop. No, it's true, yeah, and you're not wrong. Obviously, you know Brock Purdy's not gonna light the NFL on fire for his entire career. Like, look, like look at even Patrick Mahomes. At a certain point, people Mahomes, figure you out. Yeah, like teams are teams of defenses in this offseason are gonna look at you, especially with how far you get into the playoffs. Oh yeah, there's gonna be more and more of an emphasis on must stop Brock Purdy from running around and making plays. You know, one one touchdown that really stood out to me. One play that he really made was the touchdown pass to Elijah Mitchell. Now, I, I say that with a tiniest amount of bias because I'm a huge Elijah Mitchell fan. Really? I would have never guessed. I mean, with I know. With your 49ers Elijah Mitchell jersey. I, I know. I, it, it's impossible to figure out. But, you know, it was a play where Eli came out of the flat on a play action and the, the Seahawks had it snuffed out from the jump, I mean, right the second Brock Purdy started scanning through his reads, there was pressure in his face. But what Brock Purdy was able to do was he was able to spin away from the sack, buy himself some time. He found Elijah Mitchell in the flat, and Eli just walked into the end zone, um, which was really impressive to see from a rookie quarterback like Purdy again. He doesn't let the play rattle him. He doesn't let the pressure rattle him. He just finds ways to continue a play, buy himself a second or two, and you know really just put his team in position to win. And it's been super impressive to see from from a rookie as the Niners win forty one to twenty three. Let's go to the game hotline now, Mister Green. What's going on, sir? Hey, good afternoon, Mr. Miguez. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's kind of a nice, cool afternoon. I wanted to uh, I wanted to make a rebuttal on what uh, Martin said earlier. And uh, man, if my Buccaneers go down thirty to three, I'll eat my hat. There ain't no way, man. <laughs> there, there ain't no way. So now, uh, 
So I'm glad I'm glad you called in. What are your what are your thoughts on, on the game tonight? Where are you nervous about tonight? Not really. Uh, the Buccaneers aren't that good, unfortunately. But uh, I think we can pull out the win. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be a barn burner or anything. I think it'll be like seventeen to fourteen or something like that. But uh, you know, other than Micah Parsons, I'm not really that scared of the defense because they only have one other good player, cornerback, and uh, you just throw where he's not. I mean, so, I know that's so not Leighton, simple, but Leighton Vander Esch doesn't scare you. What's that? Leighton Vander Esch doesn't scare you. Not really. Um. But Dak Prescott definitely doesn't scare me. That dude throws more interceptions than I do. So, I mean, of course I don't throw the ball either, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it's going to be about a 17-14 win for the Bucks, And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, and hopefully home field will be an advantage. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting to to look at that. You know, obviously, you you look at the the Bucks, and I talked about it with David Harrison a moment ago. A losing record, and yet you're hosting a playoff game. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But you know, I'm one of those guys. I, I think that I think it's fair. Like division winners, what? And, and I know you know losing record and all, but division winners should it should mean something. Yep. No, I so I'm okay with it, and I was okay with it. I was okay with it when uh, what was it? The Giants. Uh, back in was it 2011? They yeah. didn't have a stellar record a, either, and yet they hosted that record. first round. So, you know, it is what it is. There might be some tweaking that needs to be done, but to each their own, I guess. Yep. Mr. Green, appreciate the call, man. Appreciate y'all. Y'all take care. Yeah, and you know, you you, you look at this matchup, and it's just so. I don't know what what word to use other than fascinating. I mean, just the dynamics of this matchup. How are the Cowboys 12-5 and five and on the road? How is Tom Brady playing for a losing team? It, it just, the, the dynamics that we've seen in the NFL for the last three or four years just doesn't make sense with this game. And I honestly can't tell you who's going to win. It, it's one of those things. It could be a 30-point blowout win for the Cowboys. Or it could be a six-point win for the Bucks. It could be a, a last-second Tom Brady magic moment. It's just one of the, It's so up in the air. Uh, it, it's going to be an incredible night of football, uh, and, and you can listen to it all right here on The Game with pregame starting at 7.15 tonight. We'll take a timeout when we return... We will look at the Sunday games. Three of them to get to. We will look at each one of them in depth, starting with the Dolphins and the Bills right here on Crunch Time on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 536, Mr. Green got me rattled in that last 
segment, I, I totally forgot to talk about the Chargers and Jags from Saturday night. Look, this game, again, we talked about it earlier. There's just... This game started out second play from scrimmage for the Jags. Lawrence throws a pick. Two plays later, Eckler punches it in for a score. And and you said, oh, okay, well, you know, things happen. Maybe it was just a really good play by the Chargers defense. Or maybe it was just a brain fart by Trevor Lawrence. Who really knows? But it's early. You're good. And then he does it again. And then he does it two more times after that. And you started thinking, okay, you know, maybe the Jags are just having a really bad night and the Chargers are on fire. And it's 27 to 7 at the half, and the Jags go into the locker room with a tiny bit of momentum because they scored right before the break with 24 seconds left. But then, you know, they came back in the third quarter, got a couple stops, went on a long drive, punched it in. You hold the Chargers to a field goal. You score again at the end of the third quarter. And, and now you're back in this thing with it being a 30-20 to 20 game. And then the fourth quarter was all you. All you. You run a you run nine, you run a nine-play 70-yard drive, get a stop, and then you run a 10-play 61-yard drive to finish it off with a Riley Patterson 36-yard field goal to win the game 31 to 30. And I mean, there, there's really not a whole lot you can say about this game other than you saw two completely different Jags teams. You saw a team in the first quarter, the first half that looked lost and wasn't sure what they were doing. And then in the second half, you saw a defense that was getting stops, rattling Justin Herbert, not letting his receivers get open. And then you saw an offense led by Trevor Lawrence that made some plays. Now... I the my my favorite play call from this entire game, James. There was a play. I, mean, I don't remember the the down and distance of of this play, but the Jags had three running backs lined up behind Trevor Lawrence. You're talking about the fourth down play. It, it was the fourth down play. You're right, and, and it looked like they were going to push Trevor Lawrence. That that's how they lined up. Psych. And then Trevor Lawrence just turns around, hands it off to Travis Etienne. Etienne. And the other two running backs become blockers, and Etienne to the corner takes e- it for a twenty. Etienne, what was twenty five yards? I think so, or, or something like that. It was it was one of the craziest play calls I've ever seen, and it worked to absolute perfection. Twenty five yard run. Um, and, and so just what a great play design by Doug Peterson, who we've seen come up with some come up with some crazy things, aka the Philly special. So. I kind of looked at more of two different teams at two different halves that could do no wrong. Correct. Because in the first half, Chargers could do really no wrong. Correct. But then the second half, the Jags could do no wrong because it felt like nothing really bounced Jacksonville's way, especially on that punt because you get the interception, two plays later, score touchdown, uh, another interception. Uh, this time you only get a field goal. That's kind of another thing is you had multiple times where you had very short fields that could have really put it away even earlier on. That way you never really would have had to worry about this. And you had to settle for field goals because near the end of the first half, you had that punt that was that touched the Jacks player. You pick it up really close to the end zone. 
I forget exactly where it landed. At the Jacksonville 6. You were at the Jacksonville 6-yard line, and you had an easy opportunity to score that touchdown. And even even if you would have even if you left the original first field goal by the Chargers alone, you punching it in there, that should have sealed it for you. Because then you would have been up 28. Yeah. Or no, you would have been up 31 to 7 at half. Correct. Yeah, that that missed field goal really changed really changed things uh in, in the game, but at the time you didn't realize it. No, but I kind of got that feeling like that's the second time you have very short fields because of a turnover and you don't score a touchdown. You're only kicking a field goal. At a certain point, you can't rely on it because that was really the only times that you saw the Chargers score was because of turnovers. Now, that was because Jacksonville was turning the ball over a whole bunch, so it was like, well, it's kind of hard to say, but I, I was having talks with some of our people in the Dynasty League, and there was another guy just like me who was like, I'm I'm not convinced the Chargers are going to win this game. I don't care that they're up 27 right now right. and going up 20 at halftime. Like, Char- Jags still have a lot of fight, and I know how this Jag team rolls. They throw the ball way too much. It reminded me of the who was it? The Oilers who were throwing it way too much that led to the 32 point comeback yep. for the Bills in the yep. playoffs. That's what it reminded me of. I'm like, they're going to throw it way too much because their ground game sucks. And you look at Austin Eckler, other than those two touchdowns, did not have a good game on the ground. He did not. So I was like, they're not going to be able to run the ball. They're going to keep throwing it because they always put themselves in third and long situations. It's going to bite them. Yep. And boy, did it. It definitely did. Uh, we go to Sunday now, Buffalo, Miami, a 34-31 win for the Bills. This was a game where Buffalo jumped out to a 17 to nothing lead. And then methodically, the, the Dolphins spent the rest of the second quarter climbing back in it, tied it at 17, and then Tyler Bass hit a field goal at the end of the first half to take a 20-17 to lead into the locker room. And then in the third quarter, very early on, Josh Allen with his fumble that was his third turnover of the day, and it resulted in a Miami defensive touchdown. They took the 24-20 to lead. And then Buffalo kind of flipped a switch and said, okay, enough of this. Ripped off 14 straight points uh, behind two touchdown passes from Josh Allen, one to Cole Beasley, and then one to Gabe Davis, uh, which gave them a 10-point lead at the end of the third quarter. The Dolphins got a fourth, got a touchdown early in the fourth to make it 34-31. to And then the rest of the way, the Bills tried to put it away but really couldn't. The Dolphins tried to take it and couldn't, and it was just a strange last 11 minutes of that game. It, it just was was weird. Um, and, and Mike McDaniel spoke with the media following the, the game, and he said it simply just came down to a miscommunication. Uh, issues within the huddle of communication and getting to the line of scrimmage. The excuse that you don't use, but that is a real compounding variable is there's you know, there was a multiple amount of um, different people in the huddle where communicate, you know, when you're in a, in a nice routine and you have a, a maybe a group of offensive linemen um, that are being communicated to by the same person, you know, when you, when you have flux like that, it, it happens. It shouldn't ha- happen as much as it did. Um, and then the, the, last one in particular 
had to do with uh, whether you know whether it was officials or coaching. You know, there was some communication that we had gotten the first down. So then we were um, deploying a, a group of players for the first and ten call, and then it was it was articulated uh, that no, it was fourth down. So that miscommunication that's that's all the stuff that you that you do in in this business is you um you never stop finding the things that you can improve on um and and it's a it was a piece of the reason uh you know why we we're unable to come out with a victory but it, it definitely wasn't the only reason there's a um a lot of people can uh find several things that they could do better um including myself which we will do pressing forward now we go to the Giants and Vikings. You know, you, you look at a matchup where we thought that Kirk Cousins wouldn't play very well. Well, he actually did. James, he wasn't bad. He really wasn't. 30, I, don't, I don't really blame him for the loss. 31 of 39, 273 yards. He had two touchdowns. He took care of the football. I mean, he, he did everything you asked him to do. He didn't look like usual Kirk Cousins in the in the spotlight. But the Giants, the Giants gave me the vibe throughout this game that they were just destined to win it. Even though their receivers are not very good, you're relying on Richie James, who is a, who the first four years of his career, first four or five, like every year of his career outside of this one, he was just a guy on special teams. Isaiah Hodgins. Coming out of nowhere. Young young talent. Yep. Your biggest playmaker because you had a couple other people. Kenny Galladay just been utter travesty. Not shocked. He sucks. Um I still can't believe you wow. you paid that you you paid that big of a deal to Kenny Galladay. He looks good in in Detroit, but boy oh boy. Did Matt Stafford look make him look good. Wow. Um and then you had Sterling Shepard go down pretty early in the season. So your your biggest playmaker outside of Saquon Barkley that catches the ball is Darius Slayton. Yep. And he and he set, stepped up pretty big, but boy, it was a Isaiah Hodgins type of day when it came to receiving. And Saquon, even though he only got 14 touches, still had over 100 yards from scrimmage and scored twice. Danny Dimes. Danny Cornhole. Danny Dimes can run the ball. Oh, boy, can he. He can run the ball. 17 carries for 78 yards. I'll be honest. I was worried that Brian Dable was going to kill him because he ran the ball like four or five times in a row. Well, speaking of Brian Dable, he he talked post-game and he was asked, is running Daniel Jones part of your game plan? No, I'd say the game plan that we put together um, on offense kind of was a game plan for the game. You know, what we did is what we wanted to do. I mean, there's always adjustments, but I thought Kafka <clears throat> and all the assistant coaches had those guys ready to play and um, thought he called a really good game. And you know, it, it helps when you're, you're handed a gift from above. Fourth quarter, game on the line, Vikings have the ball, they get set up with a fourth and eight, which, I mean, not a, not a high percentage play there, obviously, fourth and eight. But James... What what is what is the mindset of checking down on a fourth and eight? The receiver was six yards short. 
Kirk, uh, I mean, the play call, everybody else was doing a vertical, and if you look at the Vikings, they usually kind of have TJ Hawkinson kind of be the yep. underneath guy. Just like, hey, last minute, like, if you need me, I can I can get the conversion. I'll try to. Uh, I'll probably be open because everybody's worried about beyond the sticks, right. as you should be. Uh, and really, Giants brought a lot of pressure on that play. So he he didn't really have a lot of time to look 15 yards down the field. He was like, oh, God, I, I just need to kind of get it off. Oh, man, that was... I just I, I got to give somebody a chance and TJ, feel like TJ could maybe break one tackle because that was, he, that was only one guy. He the, only had to beat one guy and get a huge game, but just couldn't do it. And then the last game, we, we talked about it a lot earlier, the Bengals and, and the Ravens. The, the story... Neither team played well, and then a 98-yard fumble return for a touchdown by your defensive end, hometown boy defensive end, was the story of the game. really was. It was pretty much the difference maker, 14-point swing. You think Ravens are about to take a touchdown lead? Psych! Sam Hubbard takes the 98 yards, and then puts s- the Bengals up by a touchdown. And then sat on the bench for basically the rest of the game because the man dude had, dude had to mask. sit the whole next drive. It was only a three play drive because it was a three and out. But dude, dude needed that gas he, mask. He, he he needed that rest. He that was dude needed air. Oh man, I don't guy. blame him. That was a sprint. Poor guy. Let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun here at the game, a Delta Media station. If you were looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience from retail, telemarketing, everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to sales director Jeanette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or by calling 896-1600. We'll make our picks for tonight and wrap up today's show after this right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, super wild card weekend. It's been super. It's, li- it's lived up to the title. However, there's one more game left tonight. Monday night football between the Cowboys and the Bucks inside Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Uh, again, you know, this game, Tom Brady versus Dak, you've got coaching implications here. There, there's been a ton of rumors that if the Cowboys lose, Mike McCarthy's out. Uh, this could very well be Tom Brady's last game in Tampa, if not Tom Brady's last game ever. It's a little early to tell. Uh, Just a plethora of storylines involving this game. James, X-Factors for both teams. Let's go. I think Mike Evans. Okay. Mike Evans being a big factor because even though Trayvon Diggs, he's probably going to shadow him a good bit. I don't think it matters because I I don't think other than him being able to catch a few interceptions, a couple tip drills, he's not that great of a corner. He gets a little too aggressive. So I think that might bite him a little bit, and that's that's where you could see Mike Evans get a touchdown, maybe two. Um, to me, ultimately tonight, I, I really do look at there being a controversial call or non-call that leans towards Tampa and is able to give them the win. Because I think, end of the third quarter, I think it's going to be a 10-point game, like 20-10. to 10. And then you'll see an early score, like a field goal. And then you'll see a touchdown to tie the game. 
and then I think you get it. Tampa gets a stop, and then they are able to extend their drive and then kick a game-winning field goal with no time left. Yeah, either that or either that or Dallas kicks a field goal in between some of those scores, but da- uh, Tampa scores two touchdowns to win by one. Either way, it's go- to this, me it's going to be really close. The, 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 this man's diving way too deep into it. Way too deep into it. Talking about multiple scenarios of how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win at the very end. So, so then, you, you, but you then, think, but then, but then down, I'm wrong. But then I'm wrong, and they and they lose by 15. You think it's coming down to the arm of Tom Brady? Yes. Okay. Because he's going to throw it like 68 times. My X factor is Ryan Jensen. How does he change the flow of the offensive line for Tampa? I think the Cowboys win a close one, and uh, Tom Brady rides off into the sunset as a as the goat. He's he, not done. He retires. He's after, not done after, after tonight. He's going to pull a Brett Favre and come back again. I want to thank our guests, Grant Hughes and David Harrison. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Monday Night Football from the from the pirate ship coming up next right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and world champion Houston Astros.